is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, there's so much to talk about and so little time to do it, but I hope you'll stick with us. You know, there have been about 113 justices throughout our entire history on the Supreme Court. That's it. 113. Kavanaugh's confirmed that'll be 114. Since the Constitution was ratified. It's not a lot. As you know, they serve for life. Good behavior, but that's turned out to be life. So what do you do if you're in my position? You love the President of the United States. You think he's doing a hell of a job. The appointment of Neil Gorsuch was outstanding. You certainly don't want to sabotage what he's trying to do to the courts, but you do have some questions about his latest nominee. So do we ask the questions or do we sit on our hands? Even more, do we cheer on the individual, as virtually every radio host has done, virtually every TV host has done, because they don't want to offend many of you. I don't swing that way. I am not interested in sabotaging Mr. Kavanaugh. I'm interested in knowing more about Mr. Kavanaugh. Not from his former law clerks. Not from senators who are commenting now without having the benefit of an actual hearing. Not from differing views of professors and... You know, funny thing is, I've been watching TV much of the day and listening to radio part of the day... And none of them, none of them, really get into the decisions of Kavanaugh. They talk about him writing 300 decisions and on and on and on, and they're basically reading talking points that have been provided to them. And by the way, as an aside, we're now celebrating Anthony Kennedy. Anthony Kennedy is a disaster, was a disaster. He had no judicial philosophy whatsoever. Certainly wasn't a constitutionalist. It was really uh, a real hit and miss with the guy. He promoted his personal policy preferences. When he was good, he was good. When he was bad, he was bad. But I got to thinking about this, and we're going to get into something I think that's going to fascinate you. I really do. I was speaking to a friend of mine this morning. You would know who it is, but I was speaking to a friend of mine this morning. And he said to me, all these picks are risky. You never know. And I got to thinking and I said, that's not correct. When you pick an individual who's part of the gold standard, that pick is not risky. Scalia was not a risky pick. Rehnquist was not a risky pick. Clarence Thomas was not a risky pick. Sam Alito was not a risky pick. Gorsuch was not a risky pick. And a handful of others, and I do mean handful. We knew in advance what we were getting. 
Souter was a risky pick because Bush 41 wanted a stealth candidate. Kennedy was a risky pick because he was the third pick by Reagan, Borkin Ginsburg having been shot down. Harry Blackman was a risky pick. He was the third pick of Nixon. His other two having been shot down. Sandra Day O'Connor was a risky pick. Ronald Reagan, unfortunately, decided he wanted a woman on the court, and that was the focus. There were not a lot of women on the court back then. And Barry Goldwater proposed a, an appellate state court, very, really, were not very well known, in Sandra Day O'Connor. John Paul Stevens was chosen by Gerald Ford. There was not a lot known about John Paul Stevens. And I can go on and on. These were risky picks. And they were risky, and they turned out to be big problems. Now, they will tell you, they, being those with the common wisdom, we had to go for Souter because Bush 41 couldn't get anybody else through. We had to go with Kennedy because we already went with two originalists. We were shot down. We had to go with Blackman. We had to go with O'Connor. We had to go with Stevens. You know, that's the politics. We only had this many votes. The Democrats controlled that. And we got them. And in most instances, and for much of the time, the nation has suffered as a result. There was never any doubt from me about Gorsuch. Was there any doubt from you? That man had an impeccable record. Now, we're being told that Kavanaugh has an impeccable record. I hope he turns out to be the next Scalia. The next Clarence Thomas or whomever. I really do. And he may well. I'm not saying that he should be shot down in any respect. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I am saying is this Senate hearing to confirm a nominee or not. It's not just a spectacle for the left where they get to go on like insane people screaming about their agenda, how America is going to come to an end, how how the health of women is going to suffer and on and on and on. They do their clown act and that's what they'll do. But we have a responsibility too, as citizens. We have children and grandchildren and they're going to have to live under this. So what is this? I don't care what some writers at National Review and the Wall Street Journal have to say. If they're wrong, if they're wrong, the consequences for the country are severe. So we have to use our own brains, use our own eyes, listen to our own conscience to make our decisions. The nomination's been made. When I say make our decisions, that is whether or not you like this choice or not. It's a risky pick. And hopefully, it'll be one of those rare times where a risky pick turns out great. And you won't know in the first year or second year should he be confirmed. It'll take three, four, five years, and then you'll know. That's what it took Kennedy to lurch. That's what it took O'Connor to lurch. That's what it took Blackman to lurch when he was handed his first big case called Roe v. Wade. So who knows? He's not the gold standard. But we'll see. There are legitimate questions about any public official, about any institution of government. We're the people. This is how it's supposed to work. 
We're not just observers. We can ask questions. The left is insane. They want their Politburo. I get all that. But we are constitutionalists, and we get to ask questions, too. Now, I want to do something, use this format, that I think will help us a little bit. You can go online and read the cases yourself. You can go online and read comments by people yourself. But one in particular that for me brings so many issues to the fore when it comes to the Constitution, separation of powers, individual liberty, the Commerce Clause, federalism, is the Obamacare decision. So many constitutional issues met at that crossroad. So if you get that wrong, that at least deserves some attention and at least deserves some conservative on the Senate Judiciary Committee getting involved and finding out what the hell went on here at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. When we return, I want to read to you verbatim some of the oral argument that took place in front of the D.C. Court of Appeals panel with Circuit Judge Kavanaugh, Senior Circuit Judges Edwards and Silberman, a few pages focused on the give and take between Judge Kavanaugh and the lawyer for the appellants, lawyer by the name of Edward White. And you can draw your own conclusions. I'm not going to bring administration officials on this show. They won't even come on this show right now and slap them on the back and they slap me on the back and so forth and so on. The issue is not whether Kavanaugh has a wonderful family. He has a wonderful family. The issue isn't whether he is a moral man with a deep conscience. He is a moral man with a deep conscience. He's not up for the priesthood. He's up for the Supreme Court. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The Obamacare decision by the Supreme Court has been one of the worst decisions in modern history. Five to four decision. John Roberts flipped at the end. We talked about this at great length. I want to remind you what the dissent had to say in that case very briefly as I set this up to get into the Kavanaugh matter and the oral argument there. So this is June 2012. It's only 30 seconds. Brett Baer, Fox News, reporting on the dissent by the great Scalia. Go ahead. To say that the individual mandate merely imposes a tax is not to interpret the statute but to rewrite it. Judicial tax writing is particularly troubling. Justice Kennedy reading that from the bench in the joint dissent. Uh, it is something that is fascinating to watch. The court always uh, looking at the specific issues one by one. Each case is different, uh, but this one has such a, a massive ramification. Pardon me. So that was Kennedy. Kennedy, who's furious that the majority with Roberts, the chief, writing the decision is rewriting the statute, calling a penalty a tax in order to try and uphold it as constitutional. Uh, As reported at the time, 
The court's four liberal justices agreed that the individual mandate should be upheld as part of Congress's power to regulate interstate commerce. So remember, this would be the first time in American history that Congress passes a law forcing people to purchase something in the private sector. It's never happened before. And those four leftists say, okay, good, we agree with that. But Justice Roberts disagreed, and he wrote that the mandate, but he wrote for the majority, that the mandate, the individual mandate that they just got rid of and are so proud of in the Senate is actually a tax. Despite the Obama administration's reluctance to describe it that way during the bill's passage, they insisted it was a penalty, you'll recall. That has a constitutional ramification. In its argument to the court, the government left open the possibility that the mandate is a tax, but did not rely much on that argument. You want to know why? Because they thought it was a loser. Under the law, people who do not have health insurance will have to pay 1% of their income to the IRS starting in 2014, with certain exceptions. Roberts wrote, if an individual does not maintain health insurance, the only consequence is that he must make an additional payment to the IRS when he pays his taxes. He adds that this means the mandate is not a legal command to buy insurance. Rather, it makes going without insurance just another thing the government taxes, like buying gasoline or earning an income. Stick with me, please. You'll understand my concern. As you heard Justice Kennedy, they write, usually the court's swing vote dissented, reading from the bench that he and three conservative justices believe the entire act before us is invalid in its entirety, they said. In a 65-page dissent, he and Justices Anton Scalia, Clarence Thomas, and Samuel Alito dismiss Roberts' arguments, writing there is a mountain of evidence that the mandate is not a tax. To say that the individual mandate merely imposes a tax is not to interpret the statute, but to rewrite it, the dissent wrote. But to rewrite it. It's not a tax, they said. It's not said to be a tax. It's a penalty. And so, Mr. Roberts, you rewrote the statute and then tried to claim it was constitutional. Now, that was 2012. June 2012. Let's pull back a little bit to September 23, 2011. United States Courts of Appeal for the District of Columbia. Three-judge panel... Circuit Judge Kavanaugh, an active judge, and then Senior Circuit Judges Edwards, Henry Edwards, excuse me, Harry Edwards, and Larry Silberman. The lawyer on behalf of the appellants that are suing the government is Edward White. And he is suing on behalf of Susan Savensky, Eric Holder. And I'm turning to page 25 of the oral argument. So it'll start a little oddly, but stay with me and you'll follow through. How much time do I have here, Rich? I have two minutes. So actually what I'm going to do is wait. So I don't cut it off in the middle. It's going to take a full segment after the bottom of the hour. But I want to reinforce the point. That the dissent... The three constitutionalists and Kennedy were beside themselves for among other reasons, and there are other reasons, but in particular, that John Roberts chose to call a penalty a tax 
for the purpose of finding Obamacare constitutional. And as a footnote, it still wouldn't be constitutional under the tax clause of the Constitution. But I don't want to get into the weeds. That's not the point. For Roberts, he needed to find a hook. He couldn't see it in the Commerce Clause where the status progressive justices tried to further expand the power of government through the Commerce Clause by forcing individuals to purchase a product by other private individuals, that is companies, which clearly would take the Commerce Clause to places it's never been before. Can you think of anything else the government has ever forced somebody to buy? I'm not talking about a tax, Social Security tax. The government provides the service. But you don't pay for somebody else to do it as a command of the government. And so what John Roberts did is he simply said, well, what's the big deal? If they don't buy it, they just pay a tax. And the other justices said, that is the dissenters, the four, you just rewrote the statute. You just rewrote the statute. You remember all this, Mr. Producer? My fellow Levinites, you remember all this? You remember how our, our jaws hit the floor? Remember how furious you were with John Roberts? Remember how outrageous this was? You destroyed, they destroyed our entire health care system by rewriting Obamacare statute? All right. Please come back. I'll explain why this is so thoroughly relevant. The champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now. 877-381-3811. Now, during his uh, short comments um, last night after the president introduced him, Brett Kavanaugh underscored this point. Cut 10. Go. My judicial philosophy is straightforward. A judge must be independent and must interpret the law not make the law. A judge must interpret statutes as written, and a judge must interpret the Constitution as written, informed by history and tradition and precedent. Let's go to September 23, 2011. We are assured by writers at National Review, by faceless, nameless editorial writers at the Wall Street Journal, by former clerks, by certain professors, by TV hosts and radio hosts, that Mr. Kavanaugh is a proven textualist and an originalist. How they know, I don't know. They tell us they read the opinions. Some of his opinions are spot on and some aren't. Most of his opinions are irrelevant, quite frankly. They just deal with the nitty-gritty of the kinds of cases that come up in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, but I would think Obamacare is a crucial decision, wouldn't you? And he had an Obamacare decision, a case. Susan Sevensky, also known as Susan Savinsky, versus Eric Holder. Now, remember what I told you. The lawyer in the case is Edward White. And obviously, I'm only reading those parts relevant to Mr. Kavanaugh. Uh, Mr. White says, I will turn to the tax argument and Congress can use its tax power. He says, Mr. White, this is the oral argument. So, for example, Congress have decided politically that, you know, they'd raise everyone's taxes a certain amount of money. And if you bought insurance, you got a tax credit. 
They do that all the time, White said. You know, if you buy an electric car, Kavanaugh interrupts. He says, well, let me just think about this statute. Suppose, just for the sake of a question, that it's $1,500, just for simplicity. You would say a statute that says pay $1,500 to the IRS if you don't have health insurance is perfectly constitutional. Perfectly constitutional under the tax power. But if it says pay $1,500 or you shall maintain health insurance or pay $1,500 to the IRS or purchase health insurance, if you don't want to pay the $1,500, that's unconstitutional. What's the different about those two things? So he's saying, in other words, let's say the government says you're to pay $1,500 to buy health insurance. And if you don't, we'll penalize you. Or you pay us, the government, $1,500 for health insurance. Saying, what's the difference? In other words, the judge says, in the second one, you have an option. Pay to the IRS or buy health insurance. In the first one, it's just pay to the IRS, and they're going to provide a government-provided medical benefit. Lawyer White says, well, I think because it's under the taxing power, and it's between you and the government, you're paying taxes just like you would on many things, and some people object to that but you still pay it, that's a different premise than establishing the principle that Congress can require you as an American citizen, and when you're just at home, you're not involved in commerce, that you must buy a product from a private company for the rest of your life, whether you need it or not, because, well, Kavanaugh says, well, let's talk about a separate hypothetical. You say this statute, Obamacare, which in effect says you shall have health care. If not, pay a penalty. Again, we'll say $1,500. You say that's unconstitutional. A statute that says simply in the IRS code, if you don't have health care, you pay an assessment of $1,500. In your theory, says the judge, the latter is perfectly constitutional and the former is not. And they seem extremely similar in terms of their actual effects on citizen behavior. Why should we draw, have so much turn on such a minute difference in phrasing? Lawyer White, I don't think it's minute just because of which power, which enumerated power we're talking about. Kavanaugh, we're talking about the tax power. Okay, says Kavanaugh, so the tax power. If you don't have health insurance, you pay $1,500 to the IRS. Just like if you contribute to charity, you get a break. If you have a mortgage interest, you get a break. If you don't have health insurance, you pay a $1,500 assessment. That was what the House bill was. Everyone agrees that's perfectly constitutional. Of course, I don't. Perfectly constitutional. You say it doesn't pass muster under the tax power if it says you shall maintain health insurance, and if you don't have it, you shall pay a penalty of $1,500. You know it's very close, says the judge. He goes on. As the amicus brief, or friend of the court brief, I think some of the professors pointed out that this is very close. Lawyer White. It may be close. But again, you're talking about a relationship between you and the government versus a relationship citizen to citizen. And if I'm paying my taxes to the government, and if somehow it's going to result in health insurance, that's a different situation than putting me into the commerce market to buy a product from a private company. I think that's a critical decision because you look at how Congress has always used the taxing power. Judge Kavanaugh. Do you think the average citizen would feel more coerced to buy health insurance by the first rather than the second example? The first, again, was you shall have health insurance. If you don't, 
you pay a penalty of $1,500. The second was, if you don't have health insurance, you pay an assessment of $1,500. So one citizen looks at the first and says, I have to get health insurance. And by the way, his examples there are convoluted. He, he means to say something else. And so um, White says, I really don't understand your point. Kavanaugh says the coercion comes from money. Kavanaugh says... You raise $3,000 more. He says, on the second example, it's just a tax code provision that says if you have health insurance, that is, correction, if you don't have health insurance, this is him, not me, you pay an assessment of $1,500 on line six of your tax return, right? That is 100% constitutional. That was the House bill. The only difference in the final bill, and slight, but maybe it makes a difference, maybe it's more coercive, is you shall have health insurance. If you do not, you shall pay a penalty of $1,500. And my question is, is there really a difference in the coercive power of the government over the individual between those two examples? Lawyer White, I think there is. And again, it may be a subtle difference, but I think it's significant in that regard, is that when Congress is using its taxing power in this regard— There is, again, the political accountability. People don't like taxes. So politicians are more attuned to how they're going to pass a law, and there is a backlash in that regard for taxes. When you're dealing with the Commerce Clause, because the Commerce Clause has been expanded from its original thinking, it's if Congress has now used its Commerce Clause to force people to buy products. Then that power is more unlimited. Because all Congress has to do is set up factual findings. So even in the most uh, decision from the Middle District of Pennsylvania, the judge notes there, he asked the government attorney if Congress accepted the principle, an apple a day, you know, keeps the doctor away, and had findings for that, can Congress require you then to buy an apple every day? And the answer there was no refusal of that. In other words, Congress can, if you follow the liberals. Judge Kavanaugh, well, what do you mean by that? We're on the tax clause now, and the require word is the key word. And the question is, if it's required by a $1,500 payment to the IRS, is that different from saying, if you don't have an apple a day, you pay a tax of $1,500? Now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. Just stick with me. Because it goes on. You don't have to call it a tax. Here we go, says Kavanaugh. The license tax case is made clear. There is a paid fee for a license. And the Supreme Court upheld it under the taxing power, even though the court assumed that Congress did not have the power to regulate that under the Commerce Clause. And even though it wasn't called a tax. So the label, what I'm trying to do is tease out what the factors really matter. And it seems to me the mandate, that's the individual mandate, which says, of course, I'm me speaking now, if you don't get health insurance, you pay this penalty, which now they call a tax. Seems to me the mandate versus encouragement is one line you're drawn that has some force, I admit. And then another line you've drawn is the label. I'm trying to tease out whether the label really matters. Suppose, for example, that this law enacted had a penalty of $50 if you didn't have health insurance, called a penalty of $50. And then the next law called it a tax, and it was $2,000. Under your theory, the $50 is unconstitutional because it's called a penalty. The 2001 is perfectly constitutional because it's called a tax. And I'm trying to figure out what sense that makes in terms of the label. Lawyer White, with regard to these hypothetical statutes you're talking about, 
whether they can do it under the tax power, we have to go back to what they actually did. He's saying, look, that's not what they did. That's not what they did. They called this a penalty, not a tax. Now, why is Kavanaugh so focused on tax and not penalty? For the same reason John Roberts called it a tax and rejected penalty. Because in constitutional structure and, con- and, and construction of the argument, if they call it a tax, I disagree with this, by the way, but this is their position. If they call it a tax, Congress can do it. Okay? But they do not call it a tax, which is why the dissent in the Obamacare case in the Supreme Court was so furious talking about rewriting the statute. What is Mr. Kavanaugh doing here, Mr. Textualist? Well, they don't use the word tax, but that's just a label, right? Judge Kavanaugh. They did not disclaim the tax clause power. So now he's saying, well, they didn't actually disclaim that it's a tax. And they never said we're proceeding only under the Commerce Clause power. That's been repeated often, but it's not quite accurate. You know, that's not true either. Obama even gave an interview, and I believe it's named after him the law, and he signed it, and his administration actually helped write it with Congress. They went on and on and on. It's not a tax. Lawyer White, when you look at the findings, Congress is only talking about its regulation under commerce, its ability to regulate commerce. Congress, when you look at the labels Congress used here, it's not just the labels of saying this is a tax, this is a penalty. It's what Congress did beyond that. Congress in this statute, but, says Kavanaugh, it's in the tax code. It's paid on your IRS form. It's assessed and collected in the same manner of subchapter B of chapter 68 which is the Internal Revenue Code. It's a big tax-related provision. Now, you still may have a good argument on the fact that it's a mandate versus encouragement. I think that's a fair point. Lawyer White, when you look at the statute, you have to look at the entire statute. If everyone complies with the mandate and buys health insurance, the government doesn't receive a penny because all your money is going to a private insurance company. When you look at what Congress did in the statute, Congress was very particular. Congress not only called it a penalty, Congress in other areas of the statute designated things taxes. So you had the 10% tax on tanning. You had the medical device tax. Congress also listed in the health care law 17 generating tax generating provisions. It did not list the individual mandate in them. That is, as a tax clause. Judge Kavanaugh. Pardon me. We'll try and get to that as soon as I can. One second here. Damn, I don't like interrupting this, but I've got to silence my computer. So something labeled a penalty, says Judge Kavanaugh, can never be justified under the taxing power? I don't think no. I don't think the label is not dispositive, but we're not just saying that. Right. That's what I'm getting at. Judge Kavanaugh. I'm trying to distinguish a non-punitive civil penalty, mouthful, from a tax under that's justified under the taxing power. How do I tell the difference between those two things? Lawyer White, you have to look at the structure of the statute. You have to look at the language Congress uses. In this case, judge intervenes, well, you just said the language is not dispositive, so how? Okay, says the lawyer, you have to look at the purpose is it a tax revenue statute? This statute, when you look at it, judge interrupts. While the Supreme Court's long said, as long as it's revenue raising, 
We don't get into that issue anymore. Whether it's the Sanchez case or Sonzinski or Bob Jones, there are a lot of cases. Lawyer right, white, right. But the Supreme Court also says that there is a difference between a tax and a penalty. And a tax is to raise revenue, and a penalty is to compel behavior. The penalty here, if you find the individual mandate, is to compel. Were you able to follow most of that, Mr. Producer? Mr. Cavanaugh, the textualist, the man who understands separation of powers, was rewriting the statute. And you know what he did in the end, Mr. Producer? He argued that his major concern was the Anti-Injunction Act, which presents, prevents the court from hearing it until 2015. What that means is the case isn't ripe because the tax or the penalty has yet to be applied to anybody. And so you need to come back once that happens and then make your argument all over again. In other words, in the end, he ducked. He made a technical decision. But throughout this oral argument, it wasn't the leftists on the court, the old Carter appointee, Harry Edwards. It was the Bush appointee, Kavanaugh, going on and on and on that it's a tax. What's the big deal between a tax and a penalty? The big deal is it made all the difference in the world. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Individual mandate merely imposes a tax is not to interpret the statute, but to rewrite it. Judicial tax writing is particularly troubling. Justice Kennedy reading that from the bench in the joint dissent. Uh, it is something that is fascinating to watch. The court always uh, looking at the specific issues one by one. Each case is different, uh, but this one has such a, a massive ramification. Yes, it did. And you have to assume that Kavanaugh would have voted with Roberts on this because they both came at it from exactly the same position. He is not Scalia. He is not Thomas. He is not Alito. And in this case, he wasn't even Kennedy. So we'll see. The conservatives on the Judiciary Committee politely and legitimately need to pursue this. This is a big deal. Goes to this issue of textualism and originalism. You know, nothing can put a dent into your summer plans quite like your car breaking down. You're hit with huge repair bills out of nowhere, and all the money you save for an island getaway now has to pay to fix your car. Well, when you have extended vehicle protection like I do from CarShield and our 2010 Cam- uh, Camaro, what is it? Yeah. Camaro, you don't have to worry about these unwelcome surprises. Look, if your car breaks down after the manufacturer's warranty expires, you can be out of pocket thousands to get it fixed. CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's your choice. They also provide you 24-7 roadside assistance and rental car while yours is being fixed for free. Now, if your car is 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay high repair bills. CarShield administrators have paid out close to $2 billion in claims and they're ready to help you. 
Save yourself thousands in future car repairs and don't worry about missing out this summer. Get covered by the ultimate and extended vehicle protection like I did. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention Levin or visit carshield.com and use code Levin, L-E-V-I-N, and you'll save 10%. That's carshield.com, code Levin, or call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code Levin. A deductible may apply. Now, my purpose here isn't to sabotage, isn't to upset, isn't to anything. But why would we be ostriches here and put our head in the sand? There are legitimate questions that need to be asked from a constitutional perspective of Kavanaugh. There's a reason why. There's a reason why the rhinos, almost to a person, back this gentleman. So do some conservatives. So do many never-Trumpers. So that by itself is not definitive. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The White House, to its credit needs to fight for its nominee, and it's putting out talking points, which you can hear most radio hosts regurgitate and most TV hosts regurgitate. Now, there was an appellate lawyer on the line, but he left for some reason. He said, look, this is a case, you know, the judges go back and forth, and they put out these hypotheticals. Well, he didn't put out hypotheticals. Not across the board. They all went one way. Tax, tax, tax. Moreover, he had an opportunity to write an opinion in which he, as one of the circuit judges, one of the three on the panel, could have ruled that Obamacare was unconstitutional, just like the four justices did on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court case, King versus Burwell, which they did a half a year later. But he didn't do that. Instead, he looked for a way out. And the way out was, look, this guy always wanted to be on the Supreme Court. He knew what he wanted. The lobbying effort on his behalf was unprecedented. So he points to the Anti-Injunction Act, which he said prevents us from hearing this case until 2050. That's what he said in the oral argument. So... What he's saying there is, I got to wait for this tax slash penalty to take hold for it to be applied. And then it can be litigated all over again and come up to the court or some other court and we can address it then. So he pushed it off. That's not what the dissent on the Supreme Court did or would have done. I felt quite confident that when it comes to the Obamacare case. Kavanaugh would have been persuaded by Roberts. George Bush also wrote a book, as my buddy Daniel Horowitz points out at Conservative Review. Kavanaugh working for George Bush when they were looking at a Supreme Court nomination 
one of the vacancies that occurred during his presidency. And it had come down essentially to John Roberts and Michael Ludig. Ludig being a circuit court judge as well. Ludig is well known among conservatives and constitutionalist circles as the gold standard. An exceptional circuit court judge. As George W. Bush points out in his own book, Kavanaugh lobbied for Roberts. Kavanaugh lobbied for Roberts. Roberts won't forget that. And Kavanaugh won't forget it either. But that was poor judgment. Because Ludig, in my view, would have been an outstanding Supreme Court justice. So we lost Ludig. And we got Roberts. Now, I had backed Roberts at the time because he was considered fairly solid. But as it turns out, he was a risky pick. Then we had all kinds of arguments. Well, one of the gold standard nominees wouldn't have been confirmed. Well, Amy Coney Barrett was 46, too young. But then we hear it said that if there's another vacancy, the president will nominate her. So what? She's 47, 48. That makes a difference? Of course not. We've had presidents younger than her. And we've had justices younger than her. We've had justices with no judicial experience. That is, never been judges. That's okay. Elena Kagan is a perfect example. She was never a judge. While I disagree with her almost all the time. She's enormously bright, and she knows her way around the Supreme Court. You don't have to have been a judge. Mike Lee was never a judge. Is there some question about his constitutional capabilities? I don't think there's any. So you hear these arguments. Well, there's, you know, it's Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski to deal with. So deal with it. Is Mitch McConnell not a leader of the United States Senate? The goal isn't to make it easy for Mitch McConnell. These are lifetime appointments, for crying out loud. The court is far more powerful than the framers of the Constitution ever intended and than the ratifiers would have intended. The ratification of the Constitution, if the ratifiers and the various conventions of the states had known that the Supreme Court would be as powerful as it is, they would never have ratified the Constitution. They were assured repeatedly, especially by Hamilton, that it's the weakest branch, don't worry about it. And yet, it's the most powerful branch in many respects. Now, some of these questions were raised over the last week, and what happened was, people who would dare to raise them were viciously attacked. As spinning, as stabbing the judge in the back, as being dishonest. They weren't truthfully engaged by the inside the beltway legal types. And that's the other thing. Kavanaugh doesn't get more Washington. There isn't another candidate who's more Washington than Kavanaugh. He was born there. He was raised there. Now that in and of itself is not a disqualification. I fully recognize that. But you have to put the pieces together. 
One of the people pushing Kavanaugh the hardest, according to published reports, was the counsel to the president. Don McGahn, who I happen to think is a terrific guy. But he has spent his professional career in Washington on the FEC and as a lawyer, which is great. But he clearly put his finger, clearly put his finger on the balance. And there are others who I know quite well who called me, who pretend to be honest operators who weren't, quite frankly, who weren't. Now, while NBC got it wrong and said some deal was cut with Kennedy, apparently, to get Kavanaugh or one of his clerks, they only got it partly wrong. Apparently, Kennedy did, in fact, mention Kavanaugh or one or more of his clerks as possible replacements when he decided to step down. That doesn't mean there's this ironclad deal. But I'm now convinced that despite all the input our president received, and he received a lot, he sought a lot to his great credit, that in the end he really was going to go with Kavanaugh no matter what. And there's another issue, aside from immigration and abortion with illegal aliens and religious liberty, there's some questions about all that. Beside all that, his view of impeachment is absurd. If the president acts or does something dastardly, that could be an impeachable offense. No, it can't. There seems to be some confusion. We've talked about impeachment, about what impeachment is all about. Impeachment is not whatever the House of Representatives says. Not if you follow the Constitution and the rule of law. Can they muscle their way through and do it? Sure, if they have the votes, but that's not what's intended. You can look at Madison's notes and see the debate that took place over impeachment and the phrases high crimes and misdemeanors and bribery and so forth. Alan Dershowitz is running around wrongly citing himself in his book saying it has to be an actual crime. And yet the framers in their debate specifically said, no, it doesn't. On the other hand, they rejected the word maladministration that was used by the parliament. When it came to impeachment, they said, no, 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 Madison says, that's way too vague. Maladministration could mean anything. Again, we've talked about this, and we'll have to do it again in the future at some point. But high crimes and misdemeanors, sure, if a president commits a crime, or is perceived to have committed a crime, because of my agreement with the Justice Department memos, uh, whether I personally agree with it or not is beside the point, he can't be indicted. So if he's perceived to have committed a crime or believed to have committed a crime by the House, of course they can seek to remove him by uh, voting on articles of impeachment and sending it to the Senate for trial. But there's some things a president may do which aren't per se criminal. Might even be worse. A major abuse of power. Violating separations of power. Like Mr. Obama, among others. So impeachment does have at least general definitions, traditions, understandings. Doesn't require an actual crime, as Dershowitz says. But it requires much more than what Kavanaugh says. 
And if he's going to be on the Supreme Court and he holds to that position, I don't think that helps the president one iota. Now to the positive. Kavanaugh is very good on addressing matters related to the administrative state. If you read the Liberty Amendments, one of the amendments, the reform amendments I propose, is to muscle up and reinforce the Commerce Clause. Why? And not just the Commerce Clause. Congress's roles in the regu- Congress's role, excuse me, in the regulatory state. Because of this Chevron decision, in which the Supreme Court decided, and I'm doing a very summary sketch of this, but I write about it extensively in the Liberty Amendments, that deference, really almost absolute deference, is to be given to the administrative state. So the administrative state can determine if the administrative state is out of control or not. And I strongly reject that, which is one of the reasons that I have one of my reform amendments in the Liberty Amendments, which compels Congress to get involved in the regulatory state in a much more meaningful and substantive way than it even does today. In fact, one of the reform amendments that I put in the Liberty Amendments states, and and I do this by paraphrasing, that no regulation that has an economic impact of $100 million or more or may raise constitutional issues can be issued unilaterally by the bureaucracy until it is reviewed by a special joint committee of the House and the Senate, which has six months to review it. And after six months... If it hasn't reviewed it, the regulation dies. Now, Mr. Kavanaugh appears to be pretty good on this issue of the administrative state. Pretty good. So that's one in his favor. And I don't deny that. But most of the cases that come before these courts including the Supreme Court, are not cases of any meaning to you where they don't have broad-based constitutional impacts. They're related specifically to the parties in front of the court. But there are times when that's not the case. When the implication is much broader and more societal than just that of the parties. Than just that of the parties. I'm not saying that Mr. Kavanaugh is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm not saying that he's Sotomayor. I'm saying I don't know what he is. He's not them. But it's a risk. And let's say three, four, five years from now, he turns out to be Antonin Scalia II. It's a wonderful thing. I'm not here to sabotage the man, remember? My entire purpose here is to raise questions as a constitutionalist. I wrote the book Men in Black in 2005, long before that and long after. We've talked about the Supreme Court, the rule of law, and of course, every day, the Constitution, virtually. Every day. 
I do not believe Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, two of the most liberal members of the Republican Party in the Senate, should have a trump card on our nominees. I don't believe their radical positions, and they are radical on abortion, including abortion on demand and partial birth abortion, should be able to determine, in the end, who is or is not nominated. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you take a stand. And you fight to the end. And you know what? Many times you win. If we had nominated a gold standard candidate, that the president had, I should say, and we lost. We're still here to fight tomorrow. That slot hasn't been filled by a leftist. And it also would have been possible to pick up more Senate seats. Because the court, again, will be center stage. And I think our base would turn out even more so. That's not the reason to nominate a gold standard candidate. But it is a consequence of what the Democrats do to our candidates. You should look at this differently than your typical political or policy issue, where you are desperately trying to endorse whatever the president does. You shouldn't look at it also as an opportunity to sabotage the president like the never-Trumpers, who happen to be very excited about this nominee, by the way. You should just relax, use your brain power, take in what I'm saying, take in what other people say, read it, and draw your own conclusions. This is not a House seat for two years or a Senate seat for six years. Mr. Kavanaugh will outlive me and he will outlive many of you. And so this is serious business. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Just to underscore, the hearing process isn't just for the Democrats to try and brutalize the nominee, nor is it just for the Republican Party to celebrate the nominee. We are constitutionalists. We have some questions. We've been told that Kavanaugh's been on the bench for 12 years. He has. He has a significant record. He does. And so there are some questions that need to be asked and clarified. And this is an important process. Even though Chuck Schumer has attempted to destroy it and so thoroughly politicize it. So if you're a senator and you're elected and you're fairly conservative and you feel like you you want the Constitution to win the day... You don't just go up there and cheerlead. You got to go up there and ask some questions. The Democrats do what they do. But constitutionalists need to do what they're supposed to do. This is a constitutional process. And we should not sit on the sidelines and wait for surrogates to tell us when to jump, when to clap, when to close our eyes, and all the rest of it. We get to do this ourselves. This 
This is the Octagon of Talk Radio. The Mike Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. The easiest thing in the world for me to do, I tell you this, every time we come across one of these issues, is for me to grab my pom-poms, or my neighbors, and start dancing across the stage like a rock cat. Like all the others in this business. It's not hard to do. It's much easier. It's much easier to just blindly cheer for something. Because if you go on my social sites, you say, what are you, an idiot? Well, what are you, against Trump? What are you this? What are you that? People don't want to think. This is what liberals do. We wonder, how do liberals think this way? Well, we have a certain percentage of people on, quote, unquote, our side who do exactly the same thing. So you can defend the administration nine times out of ten. And I'm still defending the administration. I haven't come out against Kavanaugh. But I want us to take a good look at him. I want the Republicans to take a good look at him. He's been nominated. What happens in this business is people have short memories. Sometimes listeners have short memories. So Kavanaugh will be very good for two or three years, and four or five years in, something will happen. And these hosts, if they're still in the air, will either keep their mouth shut or they'll say, see, I had some questions about this guy, if you'll remember. I raised some questions about him, but blah, blah, blah. They never raised any questions. They never do. I can remember years ago, Mr. Producer knows, he's got the audio, but how boring would it be to just keep going into our archives? When I was going after the Republican establishment, there was no Breitbart website. There was no support among conservative talk radio. Over at our friends at National Review even questioned whether there is an establishment. Remember all this, Rich? And now all of a sudden, wow, the establishment. Sometimes I'm part of the establishment, which, of course, is crazy. They hate my guts, which is okay by me. I'm my own man. And you know what? I cannot live with myself. If I just play this ratings game, I cannot live with myself. Because people want to hear the positive, even if it means not giving them all the facts. Not all of you, obviously, you're listening to the show. My attitude is conservatives, independents, people who listen to this show want to hear what, what, what is known and you'll draw your own conclusion. I treat you and should. With respect, I don't try and position and drag you or push you and hear stuff behind the scenes in order to show you how brilliant I am and making predictions. I don't do that. I read the oral argument in the Obamacare case that was in the D.C. Circuit, and I was deeply troubled by it. Deeply. Wow, that's one case. There are other cases, but this case is a huge case. And as I said at the beginning of the program, it's the crossroads of numerous constitutional issues that are crucial to the survival of this republic. Separation of powers. Federalism. Taxation. Individual liberty in the Commerce Clause. 
These are big things, big, big things. And they don't always come up in one case like this bundled together in the aggregate. But that's what happened. Hey, what do you mean a tax and a penalty? So uh, just semantics, a tax and a which makes all the difference in the world when you rewrite a statute. I don't know how people can condemn John Roberts and then claim, as Lindsey Graham just did, that this gentleman is the greatest conservative judicial mind of our time. Really? Really? Why? Why? But then there's the others, the Democrats, and we're going to get to them. They are insane, absolutely insane. Where they would take this country is beyond imagination. But I want to ask you a question first. How many of you have an additional $5,000 sitting around? Anybody? I didn't think so. But you're going to need it if your HVAC system burns out because you were, well, forgetful. Or just decided not to change out your your air filters. Big deal, right? I know you think I'm being melodramatic. But if you saw how bad this allergy season has been, all that junk which isn't in your lungs winds up in your home's HVAC filters. Plus, it's getting hot outside, and it is hot outside. And your system is working harder and harder, isn't it? Spend 15 or 20 bucks. Save your lungs and your HVAC system with fresh, new filters from my buddies at Filter Buy. America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. They carry over 600 sizes. If you are one of those difficult people, well, you may have a situation where you need custom filters. So I wouldn't really call you a difficult person. Maybe you have a difficult situation. Well, guess what? They'll do that for you, too. Plus, they ship free within 24 hours. If that isn't enough, they're manufactured right here in America. So there's no reason not to do this, quite frankly. And by the way, you can set up auto delivery. It just makes it life easier. The filters come on a schedule. You swap out the old and put in the fresh ones. And they'll give you a savings of 5%. Now, additionally, you extend the life of your system. It's getting hotter and hotter outside. And the last thing you need is a busted HVAC system on top of allergies. Save time. Save money. Breathe better with FilterBuy.com. We do. In our household, that's filterbuy.com, filterbuy.com, and tell them Mark Levin sent you. All right, let's take a call, shall we? Brian, fireman, our fireman, buddy, Baltimore, Maryland, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Hey, Mark, how are you doing tonight? Okay, thank you. Well, (laughs) Kavanaugh. My last duty assignment, uh, I am now retired from that fire department in that county that he hails from. And that area where he comes from, there is not a single conservative person around. The entire ideology of the entire environment of Montgomery County is pure progressivism. I think this is a huge mistake by the president, and I think... We, he is well, are, are you saying because the community is liberal by osmosis that he must be liberal? I'm telling you, I've never met a co- any type of conservative when I was at work in that area. But there could so, be an exception, right, Brian? There, there can be exceptions. That is correct. However, if you look at the 
preponderance of the evidence, he set Roberts up for that nonsense uh, decision for the Obama. Why, why, why is it so wrong to learn more about this man through the hearings process? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with learning more about him. And do do we not expect these so-called conservatives on this committee to do exactly that, politely and legitimately, to dig a little more deeply? I would hope so. I absolutely would hope so. But, you know, talk about draining the swamp. This is he is definitely not a draining the swamp kind of guy. It is an odd pick. I'll be honest with you. It's an odd pick, given his pedigree in the Bush administration. Carl Rove has been hiding under a rock. He came out from under the rock and he's cheerleading this guy, uh, President George W. Bush, who's been very, very critical of Trump, as the entire family has. Uh, they're praising him. Ben Sass, who hates Trump, is a never Trumper. He's praising it. It's very weird. So the whole the thing is weird. That don't like Trump that like this pick that should set off bills. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Brian, our buddy, the former fireman, is very skeptical. Lou, Milford, Connecticut, Sirius Satellite, go! You are my radio hero precisely because of what you did tonight, the unvarnished truth. And you stole my thunder uh, with your second um, monologue. The people that are blindly support the president without any critical thinking are as dangerous as the screaming banshees on the left. We... We, ha- we, we can't, we have to hold the president's feet to the fire. Like uh, the caller, Brian, I am disappointed in this pick as well. We know what the gold standard was. I would have gone to sleep at night with the gold standard, just like I go to sleep at night with Secretary Pompeo and John Bolton. Prior picks in this administration, not so much. Uh, uh, you mean like McMaster and Tillerson and so forth? Exactly. Cohen, uh, Scaramucci. The list is pretty long, Mark. Um, but he's digging himself out. I give him credit for that. But this, this was a mistake. There were, there's an election coming. There was an opportunity for him to wrangle Democrats in blue to circumvent Collins. But you have to look at the signs and symptoms. You talked about the people that have come out of the woodwork supporting the man. Uh, he, he has a liberal Jew, Jesuit education to start. Went to a very liberal school. Uh, I, he, his association, his, his wife was President Bush's personal secretary. He's done a lot of work for the So you think it's important to look at the educational background, the community background, the social circles and so forth in order to get a feel for his mindset? You are the company you keep, Mark. You, you can't get away from that. That's why I never keep um, any company, by the way. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm very concerned. The only case that I was fully familiar with was, of course, the one you spoke about tonight. And it's disastrous. I don't want to worry like we will worry. And I hope the guy gets passed because I hope the guy, the, the president then can move on to the gold standard. But every, every decision that comes down now, we're going to be on pins and needles. Will he swing like Kennedy? And when you came out a week and a half ago, whenever it was, and postulated there might have been a deal, I said, oh, damn, Mark is right, because uh, Justice Kennedy uh, hired clerks and staff. It it was very, very strange to me, and I don't mean like a contractual deal, but sort of like uh, suggestions and so forth and so on. Why wouldn't there be? 
it was just very strange to me. At one point, the final three included two Kennedy clerks, including a guy out of Michigan on the Sixth Circuit who is not particularly notable. And just Kavanaugh, 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 Kavanaugh. And I go, what, what is this all about? It just was very strange to me. The, the, the pom-pom boys and girls on Fox, and you know who they are. A lot of them came from the Bush cabinet. The careful Rollins now. Careful now. Uh, careful now. Careful uh, now. I know. I know. But it's just a reality. And uh, the I'm just, I'm sorry, Judge Barrett. Look, Lou, I think, I think a lot of people, including me, are sick and tired of the way this president's treated, the way he's brutalized, even now with the insane left, the way his people are brutalized and treated. And you get sick of it, and people get very uh, genuflective, if you will, in defense of him. And I do from time to time, and I want to from time to time. This thing's different. We're talking about a third branch of the federal government. We're not talking about a cabinet secretary or a, a, or a White House staffer or even some policy, we're talking about a lifetime appointment where there's only nine people on the Supreme Court and five of them get to make the decisions. Five of them out of the whole country. And to sit here on our thumbs and just do the, uh, the, the celebratory type reaction that you're going to hear all over the place, people who don't even know what they're talking about, some of whom haven't read a word, others whom have been, have been scheming and, and strategizing behind the scenes for weeks and weeks and weeks, putting down anybody who even asks questions. Well, I'm not putting up with that crap. All right, my friend. Lou, you take care of yourself. Lou is former law enforcement, as I recall. He's a very good guy. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, there's been another major security breach, and this one by the marketing firm Exactus, maybe the largest to date. The personal information of 230 million people was leaked. Identity theft has gotten so bad that for every two of you listening to me right now, the personal information from one of you has likely been exposed. You can't mess around with this stuff. You need a different kind of identity protection. Not the gold standard, the platinum standard. I'm very proud to partner with my sponsor, MyIDCare. It's a company that has been taking care of Fortune 500 companies for years. MyIDCare will work with you personally. They cover you for the nine types of identity theft and provide best-in-class service. For less than 10 bucks a month, MyIDCare can even help if you are already a victim. Now, I switched to MyIDCare, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. And I signed my parents up, too. We don't want to worry about identity theft anymore, and neither should you. Now, you, my beloved audience, you can get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark. That's myidcare.com slash mark. Learn more, then let myidcare take care of you. It's very dangerous out there, so you need to protect yourselves. That's myidcare.com slash mark. And by the way, enter promo code Mark. MyIDCare.com slash Mark. Enter promo code Mark. There's a lot of Mark in this. That's a good thing. MyIDCare.com slash Mark. Promo code Mark. 
You know, my goal in life is not to upset you folks. On the other hand, I'm not going to dumb down anything. I'm going to treat you with respect. I'll leave it to the other hosts to play games. Not all of them. There's some very good hosts. You know what I mean. Juan, Aldi, Virginia, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark. How are you, brother? How's it going? Good. How are you, Juan? I'm doing good, sir. Doing good. Doing good. Hey, uh, uh, wait a minute. What are you doing? It's Aldi, Virginia. Where are you? I'm in Aldi, Virginia. I actually moved from New York down to Virginia. Uh, it's beautiful over there. It is. It is very beautiful here. I've been here for about a year, and um, we we like it. I moved my family down here. Um, now you're re- you're very close to Middleburg. I am. Yes, I am right off of. Uh, well, I'm not going to say it on the radio. No, no, don't. Close hey, to- let's get your phone number out there. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. Let me give you my address. Yes. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so thanks for taking my call, Mark. I I, uh, I have a point and a question. So the point, real quick, is I agree with you 100%. Whenever the establishment rhinos are hot to trot behind it, it's red flags immediately. But the question is, mm-hmm. what what do you what do you gleam from so you know, from Kavanaugh's dissent in the Heller decision when he wrote you know the dissent there in the D.C. Circuit? Because uh, I happen to think that that my you know my gut tells me the next big Second Amendment case is going to be whether you know. Well, he was very good on the Second Amendment. Okay. Okay. He was very good on the Second Amendment, so that's a good thing. Yep. Look, I'm not saying this guy is a dog. I'm just saying there's some issues that need to be resolved. Right. Uh, and you know, we've had candidates who were appeared to be very good on a number of things. Turns out that. In the end, they were very open. What, what happens on the Supreme Court, and it doesn't even happen on these powerful circuit courts, is the amount of pressure you get from the media, the amount of pressure you get in social circles, because all of the centralized power that the court has seized for itself. And so uh, whomever's on the court becomes uh, very, very powerful. And so, like Kennedy used to, tra- or does, travel in these social circles. He likes to go to the Kennedy Center, so forth and so on. This is why this stuff matters. And this is why some people are concerned about picking somebody in Washington, D.C. I don't think that's the primary issue. I think there are other issues. But things tend to add up. And as I say, he may be a great justice. Or he may be a great justice for a couple of years and then start uh, going wobbly. Who knows? But if you pick a gold standard candidate, you do know. You do know. All of them are not unpredictable. Some of them are. Too many of them are. Thank you, Juan. God bless. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Glad you're here. You know, there's a lot going on in the Mueller side of things. I think I'll address that more tomorrow. But now I want to address the insane Democrats in Washington and their surrogates and the media and so forth. Of course Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And of course it won't be. Those are two different things. There's simply no constitutional basis for that opinion. None whatsoever. None. 
moreover, the science has changed. Not humanity, the science has changed. We now know that these babies can survive longer and longer and longer periods of time. We now know that many of them feel pain, love, human feelings early on. Early on in the pregnancy. We now know that abortion is a vile, nasty business for many people. We also know that it is the rallying cry of the Democrat Party. 150 or so years ago, slavery was the rallying cry of the Democrat Party. Half a century ago, segregation was the rallying cry of the Democrat Party. Today, it's abortion is the rallying cry of the Democrat Party. And if you don't support the most gruesome kinds of abortions, then you are apparently not qualified, according to the Democrats, to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Moreover, if you don't support Obamacare, you are not qualified to serve on the United States Supreme Court. If you don't support open borders when it comes to immigration, you are not qualified to serve on the United States Supreme Court. If you do not support whatever the social, cultural, economic, or political agenda of the radical left within the Democratic Party is, then you are not qualified to serve on the Supreme Court. This is what repulses so many of you, and for good reason. We have a major political party in this country, the largest political party, quite frankly, by membership numbers, that is led by individuals who hate the country. Now, most of these mouthpieces in the media and politics and so forth, they don't say, I want a justice who will uphold the Constitution. They give you their laundry list of policy, political preferences, and they demand that they be enshrined or remain enshrined as part of the Constitution. And the Democrats who want to be President of the United States are the most vile of the bunch as they play to the most radical elements of the base. You might call them deplorables. And there's all kinds of crackpot conspiracy theories going on there, that the president wants Kavanaugh because Kavanaugh will help him in the Mueller investigation. How so? So stupid. Or when it comes to the emoluments clause, that is, president under their conspiracy theories, making money unconstitutionally because he owns hotels and resorts and so forth. It's just so stupid. Or whatever the idiotic argument is on the left. So uh, let's get some examples of this on the table. Most of you work during the day, early morning, mid-morning, early afternoon, into the evening, Many of you are in your cars and trucks and so forth. You may not have heard a lot of this. So now I have to play this for you. It's the equivalent of waterboarding, I know, but still. Elizabeth Warren, who's one four billionth Indian, apparently. On MSLSD last night. Cut three, go. 
And in other opinions, Judge Kavanaugh has already made clear he's willing to put his own judgment in and to put his judgment on the line. And what, what does that even mean? To put his own judgment in and to put his own judgment on the line. Does she have something specific she wants to talk about? I mean, I can talk about specifics. Does she have something specific? No. Because she's a moron. I don't care if she was a professor. She is the female equivalent of Professor Erwin Corey. Go ahead. That it would be a disaster for Donald Trump to be indicted. He looks like somebody who could very much be on Trump's side. And what's so worrisome... It's not a matter of somebody being on Trump's side, you idiot. There's two memos at the United States Justice Department, including one written during the Clinton administration. You might recall, moron, that he was a Democrat. Still is. And those memos say a sitting president cannot be indicted. Go. All of this is he very well could be the deciding vote in whether or not a criminal prosecution against the president goes forward. Incredible. There's never been a criminal prosecution of a president while a president has been president ever. Then we have Chuck Schumer. He gets in on the act. He always does. Mr. Snake Oil Salesman, or as I've affectionately called him over the years, Schmucky Schumer. The Chuckster. Cut four, go. He's even argued that sitting presidents shouldn't face criminal investigation. No investigation of a president. Is that what he's argued? President's been under investigation. Let's stop playing games. We know what they're up to. Since the moment he stepped into the Oval Office. And the president has constitutional rights too, both as president and as a citizen. You know, it's not just illegal alien criminals who have rights. Right. The president has rights as a citizen, and he has rights to enforce in order to protect the presidency as president. Go ahead. President Trump chose Kavanaugh from the list of 25. When we know he's obsessed with this investigation, he even Obsessed said- with this investigation? It's Schumer who's obsessed with this investigation. He's been calling for it day in and day out. He called for it the day after Trump was elected president of the United States. The president's not obsessed with it. He has to deal with it. Go ahead. That a president doesn't have to follow a law if the president deems it, his words, unconstitutional. Well, we- that's true. The president can challenge it. It's not so much a law. He's talking about a subpoena or something and so forth. Go ahead. President, who has had so little respect for rule of law, who has shown he will... You know, this is the idiot who wanted to amend the First Amendment. You remember that, Mr. Producer? This guy, Schumer, wanted to amend the First Amendment. They have no respect for the rule of law. If you are a status progressive like Chuck Schumer, you do not believe in the Constitution as ratified. They have no respect for the rule of law which is exactly why they're treating the confirmation process the way they do. Go ahead. Braddock. Ah, shut up, you idiot. Now, here's Richard Blumenthal again. Now, the people of Connecticut, you going to wake the hell up? This guy's on TV morning, noon, and night. He's on TV more than Dershowitz. And he's a mental case. 
You know, uh, when I served in Vietnam, I, I saw combat. Guy was never in Vietnam, never put his toe in Vietnam. And the liberals in Connecticut say, he's our guy. So they elect him. The media keep pushing him out there, even though he has zero credibility. Media keep pushing him out there because they like what he says. So let's move on to the next genius, Cory Booker. This guy's getting dumber by the minute. Dumber by the minute. They used to pretend he was a moderate. He's the mayor of Newark. Now he wants to be president. So he has to be a complete screwball. And he really is. Let's listen to this genius. Cut seven, go. Uh, but I've been saying emphatically before this, and now I will be saying with even stronger yes, voice, yes, that yes. we as United States Senate, forget partisanship right. or what have you, sure. if, if a respect for the Constitution to sure. avoid a constitutional, constitutional crisis. Hold on, hold on. What's with this? Anyway, uh, forget about the partisanship. We care about the Constitution, and we need to invo- avoid a constitutional crisis, don't you know? Go ahead. We cannot let this uh, confirmation process go forward. What are you going to do? Burn the place down? What are you going to do, genius? Go ahead. Someone uh, that has clearly said that they have a strong opinion should any of those issues come before the Supreme Court. What are you you Uh, rambling? What the hell are you talking about? What are you rambling about? Go ahead. Now that uh, the, the ideas that you said us are not settled law, uh, whether the president can pardon himself, whether the president can just dispense with the criminal investigation. The president hasn't dispensed with a criminal investigation. The president, in my view, can pardon himself. There's nothing in the Constitution that prevents it. Go ahead. A lot of these issues could come right before that justice that now he is 100% certain will have his... So we have a new standard by genius Cory Booker, which is that if a president is under a phony investigation, launched really by pressure from the Democrats, and a coward deputy attorney general who buckles to it, then he can't appoint a Supreme Court justice. You believe this idiot? Let's go on to the next genius, Kamala Harris. She'd like to be president, too. And why not? Her enormous qualifications. Of course, number one, she's an idiot. Cut eight. Go. Listen, if you are a young woman oh, in America, yes. what or you then? care about a young woman in America, yeah, pay close attention to this nomination. All right, let's listen. Close attention. Yes. Because... Kavanaugh has made his purpose clear. And what is that? He told us that when he was on that list of 25. He has yeah. told us that. In every what the hell are you rambling on about, genius? If, uh, if, if you've been, uh, if, if you are a young woman in America, or you care about a young woman in America, pay close attention to this nomination, see, because pay close attention, because Kavanaugh has made his purpose clear. This is a guy with two young daughters and a wife. He had told us when he was on that list of 25, he told us. What did he tell us? Go ahead. Issue of choice. And let's be clear about what this is about. It's about government taking on the decision about a woman and what she does with her body. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. The government could care less what a woman does with her body. Government can care less what a man does with his body. Government can care less if a man removes his you-know-what 
in order to become a you-know-what. Or if a woman adds a a you-know-what, to become a you-know-what. Government could care less. In fact, the government will pay for it. Government will pay for it. This is not, you know, when you look at partial birth abortion, that's not about women's rights. That's not about a choice. That is about a vile slaughtering of another human being. By a vile slaughtering of another human being. I don't care if you dress it up in a beautiful hospital under sterile conditions. It's not in a back alley. It's there. You know, it is what it is. It's horrendous. And this is where the Democrats want to draw the line. If you don't share their sick, immoral mindset, then there's something wrong with you. All you women out there, is this how you define yourselves? The way Kamala Harris rambles on? Is this how you define yourselves? Whether you have a quote-unquote right to have a doctor kill your baby right before the baby's birth? A viable baby? Does Kamala Harris support that? Why the hell won't the Republicans put it to her? Why the hell won't the Republicans ask these Democrats? Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Instead, they, they shudder. They're in a fetal position. They're hiding under the desk. Oh, my God. Don't nominate anybody who said anything about abortion. No. We'll lose Susan Collins. Good. Oh, we'll lose Lisa Murkowski. Good. Losers. Lose them. Don't ever, can't get into this. No. Are you kidding me? You think the American people support that kind of slaughter? They don't. Least of whom mothers. Go ahead. Woman and her family and her... Ah, shut up, you idiot. Now, speaking of, Susan Collins on MSLSD today, the senator from Maine, who thinks she's Catherine Hepburn. Cut nine, go. Back then, he said that he considered Roe to be settled precedent. And that is my judgment as well. So well, I- then that's it. Susan Collins uh, speaks for, or barely, for the whole nation. As Maine goes, so goes the country. Who is this idiot? Go ahead to um, hear him say that at that time. Obviously, it's an issue that I'm going to raise with him. His role as the circuit court judge is very different from a Supreme Court judge. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. who doesn't have a substantive point to make. Mark really needs to get on the Trump train. If you only knew, the president reaches out to me from time to time. I think people need to get on the nation's train and stop this cult of personality stuff. You can support the president and support him across the board. But you still got to use your brain. This is a Supreme Court justice we're talking about. They get on any train. 
train do I need to get on? Get on the talk radio train, get on the table, cable TV train. There's plenty of trains for that. You don't like my train, then get off. Nobody's forcing anybody to do anything. I'm not. In my view. Now, one more. One more. Let's listen to this. Chuck Schumer was everywhere today. The morning schmo, CBS This Morning, outside the Supreme Court, on Capitol Hill, on the floor of the Senate, because the guy is a maniac. Cut one, go. Makes it pretty clear that this Wait a minute, a- stop. We don't have enough time. So after the break, I'll do it. I mean, the clip, we don't have enough time in the clip, because the guy's been everywhere. So we'll play that after the, uh, after the bottom of the hour. So I'm not getting on any train. It's not what I do. All right, Mark, you got to get on the Trump train. I gotta get on. Uh, and that just a, a brilliant point. No, it's not. It's stupid. Nobody defends this president more aggressively than I do when it comes to the Constitution. The Constitution protects him. The Constitution protects all of us. This isn't about the president. It's not about party politics. This is about the future of the republic. That's what it's about. I'll be right back. It makes it pretty clear that this is an extreme nominee. They can turn the clock back in America. Year, decades, maybe centuries. That's been their goal. He will repeal Roe and women's reproductive freedom, that he will repeal ACA and uh, the the right to protect pre-existing conditions. And so this actually may help us in the midterms. Anytime health care is highlighted, Democrats win. If the American people... First hour I read what Kavanaugh said during the oral arguments in a case that preceded the Obamacare Supreme Court case. Doesn't sound like anybody to me who will roll back Obamacare. Chuck Schumer is a true schmo, absolute propagandist, which is why he's welcome on virtually any news network. Go ahead. This court would overturn women's pre- reproductive freedom and the ACA. We will get How does it overturn women's reproductive freedom? Why is partial birth abortion reproductive freedom? Are any of these coconut Republicans who serve in the United States Senate, these coconuts, are they going to respond to any of this ever? Ever? No, the answer is most of them will not. Instead, they'll go to Susan Collins, ask her opinion. She's perfectly fine with partial birth abortion. No problem. None whatsoever. You know, it's been a while since I've spoken about Imprimus. Primus is a magnificent, magnificent brochure that you can receive every month. It's the largest publication in the nation of conservative thought. And it's published by Hillsdale College. And Primus is always outstanding and it's always free. But I really want you to read this month's edition. It features Vice President Mike Pence's message to Hillsdale's graduating class. It's a message that will teach you, challenge you, and inspire you. You have to read it. 
3.8 million Americans receive Primus for free every month. And those folks share their issues on average with two other people. That means 11 million Americans will read this important speech by our terrific vice president. And you should be one of them. His words will help ground you in the teachings and traditions that are our greatest inheritance as Americans. And uh, same teachings and traditions that are the surest foundation of a boundless American future. Every month, and Primus equips you to defend and promote the principles of liberty, of civil and religious freedom, and our American heritage. Visit levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, to get your free subscription, starting with this inspiring speech by the Vice President. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Matt, Las Vegas, Nevada, K-Don, the great K-D. W N go. Thanks, Mark. Just wanted to ask you if you played for the New York Yankees and got up to bat three hundred times and struck out once. Pretty good average, right? Oh, how stupid! One how strike. stupid is this point? Let me ask you a question. Let's say you get up in the seventh inning. Excuse me, in the ninth inning of the seventh game in the World Series, and you hit into a uh, into a double play. Does anything before matter? Uh, what matters now is there is no independent... Uh, we're talking about somebody going on the Supreme Court of the United States. They a couple know. hundred of those opinions are of no consequence to you or me. You're going to keep talking over me, I know. You're a, a pom-pom boy. A couple hundreds of those decisions don't matter. You haven't read a single one of them. Sure have, sure have. Which you one did you read? Immigration, immigration. Oh, you read the one on immigration. Which one did you read on immigration? Let's I'm have a chat about this. Trump picked them. Tell me about it. And what was it about that immigration decision that you liked? His dissent, right? Well, right. Saying that you can't, as far as replacing American workers. No, no, no. That's not the one people are talking about, replacing American workers. No, no, no. They're talking about the abortion one. Did you read that one? Oh, about the uh, teenager at the border, right. That's been Right. And what what did he do? All right, Mark, let me ask you this. All right, get off the phone, you jerk. You don't even answer my questions. He's on the train. Is he on the train, Mr. Producer? Yes, he's on the train. I'm trying to pin the guy down. One of it, hey, Mark, let me do it. Mark, Mark, let me do it. Mark, get out of here. Calling the wrong show. There was an immigration case, ladies and general, uh, gentlemen, in the D.C. Circuit where um, the D.C. Circuit granted an illegal alien the right to demand access to an abortion. So some of the constitutionalists dissented. One of them, one of the people who dissented was Kavanaugh. Now you have a terrific judge, Judge Karen Henderson, on that court. She wrote an unbelievable dissent. And in her dissent, she talks about American sovereignty. She talks about the plenary power doctrine that the president has and so forth and so on. Kavanaugh refused to join her dissent. Why? Why? I did not say Kavanaugh is horrific. I said there are gold standards out there. Candidates who who qualify as gold standards. And that's what I'm talking about. I don't need guys calling up, talking fast, talking past each other. That doesn't serve any purpose. 
Trump picked him because of the immigration issue, this guy said. That's not what Trump said. Trump picked him because he's a constitutionalist. That's what Trump said. He's one of the greatest constitutionalists of our time. That's what he said. He didn't mention the immigration case once. Certainly not at the White House. Nice try. Let's get on the train. That guy must be the engineer, I think. Get on the train, Mark. What the hell's wrong with you? All right. Let's see here. Who else do we have? John, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go ahead, please. Hey, Mark. What's up? Um, I would say I'm very happy about this Kavanaugh pick. I think I have a feeling there'd be another Roberts. But we got you nervous about it. We got you something nervous. Get on the train. What the hell's wrong with you? Get me nervous. Get, get on the train. Get on the Amtrak. This poor guy has no idea what I'm talking about. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. Yeah, that guy didn't really make so much sense. Um, <laughs> anyway, we get nervous sometimes. That Trump seems to, once in a while, get, get, has a tendency to full throttle the bushes. Right? So I remember with Rex Tillerson. I remember the Rex Tillerson. The gecko, everyone now, let me was- ask you a question, John. Who is the one talk show host who said no to Tillerson? Uh, not, not, not the uh, Rockettes, I can tell you that. I said no. I, they, 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 call, they, they all report Condoleezza Rice was, was the one that he spoke to him that morning. Yeah. That morning he told him to take him. He, he sometimes has a tendency to fall the bushes. I don't really get it because they all hate him. I really get me nervous. All right, my friend. Well said. <laughs> I don't know half of what you said, but well said. Shall we continue? I think we should continue. Tony in North Caldwell, New Jersey, not to be confused with South Caldwell, the great WABC. How are you? I'm fine, and I want to thank you for allowing me to talk tonight. And I want well, to we'll thank see how you. far it goes, but my pleasure, of course. I want to thank you for what you do and how you do it. And I'm thank glad you, you joined the Fox Network, and well, I hope you get you. a few more nights. No, no, I don't want a few more nights, but thank you. (laughs) Anyway, the one part that I I wanted to just take what your argument was, you're 100% correct about the taxation or the penalty versus the taxation. But aren't we glad that the Chief Justice made a statement when they had this original argument about a penalty or taxation? No, because the whole thing would have been thrown out. That's what the dissent said. I remember hearing what you said, that it should have been thrown out. Yes. But the and, fact they, is, yep. and the fact is, is since they caught, they thought they were smarties by calling it a tax. No, but I'm saying if they hadn't called it a tax, uh, it should have been five to four against and throw it out. The whole thing. Yeah, you're right. By calling it a tax, uh, even though I would argue even by calling it a tax, it doesn't save it. But five of the justices felt it did. It's a very perverse decision. You can see near the end where Roberts flipped. Some of it is cut and paste, and some of it is is disjointed. Um, the 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 left on the court wanted to go much further than Roberts. Roberts uh, wanted to uphold Obamacare, and he found a fig leaf. And by the way, that fig leaf didn't cover anything. Right, correct. By the way, where's North Caldwell, New Jersey? It's near Wayne, New Jersey. Ah. Okay, thank you. All right, Tony, take care, my friend. Greg, Portland, Oregon, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Always an honor, Mark. Thanks for uh, 
being there for us today. Thank uh, you, sir. I was just uh, very disturbed. I was guffawed actually when uh, they uh, the Trump made this decision uh, with this whole uh, opinion on Obamacare uh, fiasco, and uh, when it, when when you uh, were quoting him, he was talking about the coercion of government, you know, to to buy this uh, product. And it's just disturbing. He said government's not coercing anybody. It's just taxing you if you don't buy it. I don't think they understand what taxation means. I don't think they understand what a revolution over taxation. I don't think they understand what took place with the Stamp Act and the T-Tax and all the rest of it. But he's brilliant. He went to Yale and he went to Yale again and he does this and he does that. Okay, fine. Taxes. What are taxes? Taxes are the confiscation of your labor of your intellectual and physical labor. You get up in the morning, most of us, you go to work, you go back in the evening or at night, you spend a great deal of your life working, trying to accumulate wealth and take care of your family and so forth. A tax is a confiscatory act. To some extent, it's necessary. To some extent, it's certainly not. So when you just say, it's not coercion, what's the big deal? It's just another tax. You don't fundamentally get it, now do you? No, I don't think so at all. It's uh, disturbing. Uh, I was disappointed, though, and a lot of people, so many conservatives, uh, so quick to jump on the bandwagon with uh, yeah, no know. questions asked. Yep. That, uh, I was, I couldn't, uh, honestly, I couldn't believe it. It was, uh, I thought, wow, okay. He was my least favorite of, uh, of any my, of the my, four Mine, too, and I hope he turns out to be the greatest justice the world has ever known. I really do, for the sake of the country. And I'm not saying he won't. But, you know, you've got to read tea leaves in these processes because these are lifetime appointments, and we've only been burned, you know, about 58 times. So uh, exactly. yeah. you're not allowed to be skeptical. You're not allowed to ask questions. Only the left is allowed to do what it does, which is insanity. Uh, and we've been told by the Washington legal elite, back off. They got their man, and that's that. Well, I don't back off. And no. uh, I'm not saying he should be sabotaged by any means, but I am saying there are any conservatives and constitutionalists left on that damn committee, they need to ask him some serious questions. We shouldn't just let Susan Collins and uh, whatever dimwit else, uh, other dimwit is on that committee. Uh, I don't even know if she is, but we shouldn't let the dimwits on the committee drive the discussion. We need a seat at the table, too. Get on the train, Mark. Uh, All right, Greg, thanks for your call, my friend. Uh, Joe, Ellicott City, Maryland, the great WCBM. How are you, Joe? Hi, Mark. Uh, it's an honor to speak with you. And uh, I must say, I have some suspicions about this pick, too. And I just wanted to share what is probably a tidbit that I caught from his little speech last night that I think is is a, is a fly, red flag. I mean, uh, people may dismiss it, but if you recall, he was speaking and uh he was talking about how he had hired a, a number. A high he number. hired more? You're trying to say, because we're running out of time, more female clerks than non-female clerks. Is that the one? Yes, he said that. When he said that, my wife and I looked at each other and said, oh, brother. That's not a conservative comment. Just That's hire all the best people. What's the difference? What genitalia they have? It's an indicator. It's an indicator of his character, I think. Well, I think he has a good character, though. By every by every measure, I believe he has a good character. Well, yeah, and he's a good guy. But I want to point out that with the counts so close, right, 
They might need a couple Democrats. That also works in the favor of conservatives that don't want to go through with this. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. It only takes two or three conservatives to say, no. Bring yeah, up it's not going to happen. I predict right now. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's the summer inventory clearance sale for Chamonix. Right now, when you order Genesel, you'll get the new Genesel eyelid lift for droopy, saggy eyelids free. That's right. I said free today. And for the first time ever, you'll also get the world famous Chris Tallis Microdermabrasion also free. Yes, the best sale of the year just got better. Here's Claire from Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been using your products for three days. My husband already noticed the texture of my skin. It's looking so good. It feels nice and smooth with lots of moisture. The bags under my eyes are minimal now. So far, so good. You know, folks, plus its immediate effects included, you'll see results in 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Listen to this. There's no risk. Results in 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or visit Genesel.com. That is what my buddy Teddy does. He is a highfalutin cardiologist, one of the best, and he loves it. Experience the power of looking and feeling your best every morning. Oh, yes, men and women can use it. Order today and say goodbye to bags and puffiness tomorrow. Right now, express shipping is also free. So call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or visit Genesel.com, Genesel.com. That's 800-SKIN-604. All right. Let's see who else is out there. Quite a ride today. I know some people, they're having a tough time. They want to get on the train. They want everyone on the train. Stick with me. I know what I'm doing. Uh, let's see. Uh, let us go to Kathleen Ocala, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Oops. Lee, Indianapolis, Indiana, the great WFDM. Lee, go. Denali, God bless. Good evening. Thank you. A uh, simple question is yes. I've heard it said that any system as I listen to whether or not, you know, Kavanaugh gets this position as either something that will make us a republic or haul us back to the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said that any system that depends on the right people being in position to be a good system is a fundamentally flawed system, that we need a system that makes the wrong people make the right decisions. Maybe this gets to the one of the points that you were making in the Liberty Amendment. But do you think we've gone too far down the scale to where the individual personnel decisions are far too important in the trajectory of our republic? Well, let me put it in a different context. I think there's something to what you say. But when uh, public officials lose their virtue, or even more, if society loses its virtue, that is the aggregate of the citizenry loses their virtue, no system can survive. None. No republic can survive. This, in many respects, is what we're fighting, the tyranny of the left, with a totalitarian mindset. That's why I played all these clips. I don't like to play all these clips. That's why I played all these clips this hour. You cannot 
you just can't describe how crazy these people are. And if they're in power, what they will do to this country. Think about all their proposals. Think about their endless ideas. How they want to manipulate your lives and your family's life. It's scary stuff. It's frightening. Thank you for your uh, very edifying call there, Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I'm sorry, the folks, I have to leave on the uh, call board. Try us again tomorrow. I'll be here. Check out Levin TV tonight. God bless you, and I'll see you then. <laughs>